Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft here with Sarah Masaryk, and we have with us today Jill Morgan of Purple House Press and Tanya Arnold of BiblioGuides. Jill and Tanya, thank you for joining us today so that we can talk about Evelyn Sibley Lapman, who's a very interesting author. And the books that, Jill, you have in your catalog from Evelyn Sibley Lapman are quite diverse. There's uh, some consistency between them, obviously, but they are actually in quite a few genres. So it's a joy to be able to talk about her today, and it should be fun for our listeners because... Her books are going to appeal to different kids. So if you like one book, you might like the others, but maybe you'll just like one or two, and it could be a great place for people to try on some different styles. Jill, I had never heard of Evelyn Sibley Lapman until recently. I guess I was living under a rock, um, or under the back steps, for that matter. (laughs) How did you discover Evelyn Sibley Lapman? Well, as people might know from listening to me on your past podcast, I used to sell out-of-print children's books in the 1990s, and my customers kept requesting all the same books over and over again, and that's how I eventually decided to start publishing those books. And Evelyn Sibley Lampman was one of those, and her her two most requested books were The Shy Stegosaurus of Cricket Creek and City Under the Back Steps. Oh, and do you know why? Did your customers ever tell you why they loved those books or wanted them so badly? It was just books that they remembered from their childhood, and they wanted Mm -hmm. to read them again, and they also wanted to give them to their children. Mm -hmm. Plus, Mm -hmm. how can you not like a stegosaurus that's living out west? (laughs) When you think about books that boys tend to like, we've got dinosaurs and cowboys kind of rolled into one then, right? Right, right. (laughs) With a little bit of adventure and mystery, too. But lest we think it's only for boys, it features twins, a boy and a girl, a little bit like City Under the Back Steps, which features a boy and a girl approximately the Mm -hmm. same age who are cousins. I like that about Lampman, is that you get that balance. Did you do Shy Stegosaurus first, then? Yeah, that was one of our very first books back in 2001. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's crazy to me that I never noticed that on your website or in your catalog. I don't know. I don't know why, <laughs> but that one just escaped my notice. So I'm glad we're doing this today because I wonder if maybe other people haven't seen it either. Tanya, you just read The Shy Stegosaurus, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And you were planning to just read a little bit, right? And it hooked you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I knew we were going to be talking about... Lampman today, and I've read The Bargain Bride, and I really liked it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I've got the Shy Stegosaurus on my shelf. I should just pick it up and get a feel for that and how that might be different from a, her other works because the storyline is quite different. It's so interesting because it's realistic fiction. It's probably set in the 50s. It's contemporary to the time that it was written in. But you have this dinosaur named George who's been around for 60 million years and he speaks English. And the the children see him and and create a friendship with him, but he's shy. So he doesn't like Mm. other people to see him. And he's really aware of when other people are coming and he gets out of the way. And then all of these adventures ensue. And the children are twins. They're 12-year-olds. They're redheads. I have redheads, so I just have an affinity for books (laughs) with redheads. 
it, it ended up being so engaging that I thought, oh, I just need to know what's going to happen here. Like, how's this story going to play out? What is going <laughs> to be the ending here? So I ended up finishing it pretty quickly. And I think, Sarah, I was telling you a little bit about it. And my eight-year-old was listening and she said, oh, that's a story I would really like. And I said, <laughs> I think you would. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so yeah, it was. it's a fun story with this unrealistic element of this dinosaur that can speak English, but the mother is also a widow. And so they're trying to Mm. figure out how to make it out here on this ranch that has Mm. no water. And, you know, what are they going to do and how are they going to be able to stay here on this property? And there's a professor who's a paleontologist. And then there's a plane that crashes on the property and just all this different things, things that you don't expect (laughs) are happening. This is like (laughs) Little Bridges meets Danny Dunn. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, it's not like anything I've read before. I thought this is really quirky. <laughs> as an adult, as a child, I would have just gobbled it up because right, it had right. the play between the imaginary and the real and every type right. of adventure that a child wants to have. And you've got these children going out and exploring and looking for bones and they, and they stick mm-hmm. together. I always love positive sibling relationships. Yes, so then you yes, have yes. these the siblings that stick together and yet they don't always agree. The, the little boy feels um, it's a little bit stereotypical of what might have been believed about who the breadwinner is in the 1950s. And mm-hmm. he feels this sense of responsibility to make mm-hmm. money so that they can stay on the ranch. But she's not really impressed with some of his ideas. And she kind of <laughs> lets him know it. <laughs> and I was like, you go, girl. <laughs> so I see Lampman just very gently kind of pushing back a little bit and showing some different ideas, like just because... Mm-hmm he's the boy doesn't necessarily mean that he has the best idea or it's even an appropriate idea. Right. But it's subtle. It's so subtle. And it's just a play between children. You can just tell that these are two children thinking their own thoughts and their own ideas. Yeah. That makes me think of two things. First is that I think one of the themes that we'll talk about today as we talk more about Lampman is that she has a particular knack for taking what would be considered a stereotype or a uh, a class or a group, and any association that's attached to that. And she very, very elegantly, subtly kind of picks at that a little bit and suggests that perhaps our preconceived notions are not valid, or perhaps we should think a little bit more broadly about people and consider the actual people in front of us versus this particular idea we have. We see that, I think, in all of her books. And it's in, it's intriguing because it's definitely not hit you over the head with a bat. Hey, you need to realign your thinking. It's more of a suggestion, which brings me to my second thing. It, we recorded an episode on We Were Tired of Living in a House. Now, I think that when this episode airs, that one will not have aired yet. Uh, but watch for it because it, it, they're actually going to come very close to each other. But in We Were Tired of Living in a House, we talked about the illustration being perfection, but it's black and white. And it was this perfect invitation for children of the realism of what a treehouse should look like, what a raft should look like. But because it was black and white, it allowed the child's imagination to fill it in with color and detail. And I think that that's what you're saying a little bit about what Lapman is doing in this book. She gives the kids something real to consider. But then it's just a suggestion. She lets the imagination of the kids fill in the details around it. And I think that that's really magical when we allow our children to play with ideas in that way. So what would you say 
is the target audience for shy stegosaurus? Yeah, I think it's lower to mid-elementary, really. You know, second to fourth and fifth grade Mm -hmm. is kind of the perfect age for that. Like I said, my eight-year-old was really Mm -hmm. intrigued by the idea of the story. The other thing that she does in the story really well is the little boy, his name is Joey. He's trying to figure out a way to make money so they can stay on this ranch. And they inherited this ranch from the mom's uncle who passed away. And the kids love being outside. They love everything about being on this property, but nothing Uh will grow and the mom Uh doesn't have any money. And that's the challenge that they keep discussing and they keep saving their money in a jar. But he has these ideas and they're not always great ideas. And the sister kind of challenges him with, well, is that really good for everyone involved? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right. And that allows the child to kind of think through, you know, sometimes we want something for us because our need is so high, but is there going to be negative consequences to someone else because of that mm-hmm. idea? Mm-hmm. Is there impact? Mm-hmm. But it's so very subtle to see how that plays mm-hmm. out. I think she does really well with nuance, which is interesting yeah. at, being, at writing at that level. Now, yeah. I also understand, and I haven't um, read this one yet because I don't own it. But there is a sequel (laughs) to this story. So, and I've read online some reviews that a lot of people think that it's an even better story. So I'm kind of excited about that one. It's the Shy Stegosaurus (laughs) of Indian Springs. Yes. Yeah. Mm. I have a question for you about the reading level. You were saying that it was for lower to mid-elementary. And I just want people to be able to see, like, there are a lot of words on the page. Yeah, I think it depends on the strength of your your reader. So my eight-year-old, this would be a perfect read aloud for her. My eight-year-old nephew, he could he could read this and just blow through it because he's a mm. stronger reader. But mm-hmm. as far as the storyline is concerned and the interest level, it's right on par with second to fifth grade. I think a fourth mm-hmm. grader and above, it's about 200 pages. There are quite a few words on the page, but they're not long sentence length. It's not difficult vocabulary. So it's not a lot of, it's not a lot to consume as far as like sentence structure. I just remember when I was young, first or second grade or, you know, around there, that sometimes books like that were just look at the page and see that that it's totally Mm -hmm. covered with words and go, I don't think I can do that right now. (laughs) Yeah. So my eight-year-old right now could not read this on her own. She would absolutely be overwhelmed by it. But my Uh nephew, who's the same age, (laughs) he could. He's (laughs) he's just pounding through books like this. So I think it would just depend on your reader. But you're saying in terms of content, it's well-suited to that age range, right? Correct. Yeah. I was thinking even this one might make a really fun book club for younger grades, that this Mm -hmm. could be something that you could read aloud. Moms and children could read aloud together, and then you could get together and have a book club and talk about it and play some games. This one could be fun for that. Yeah. Another thing is that, and I've heard this about City Under the Back Steps, which I know we'll talk about in a few minutes, that there's a lot of science blended in with the story. So Mm -hmm. you're learning a lot about the ants and their environment through that story. What was fascinating in this book is that you're learning a lot about dinosaurs. She intersperses a lot of information about what they might have eaten or what their brain size was like. And you're learning from the paleontologist and he's sharing just these anecdotal pieces of information. Of course, this is from the 1950s. But -hmm. at the same time, it's still really interesting. It's told really interesting. So I think you get this play of family life, ranch life, a mystery, an adventure, science, a dinosaur all of these things are overlapping and interplaying together and it makes it really fascinating. I love that. So this book though, we would not put into Jill's nature library, right, Jill? Where would this one be found on your website? 
This one, I would just say it's an adventure story and we have it categorized by age. I think I have it um, as eight to 12 year olds. Sitting under the back steps. Now that one is categorized in your nature library, correct? That is, yes. I did put that in our nature study library just because there's so much information in there about the ant colonies and the ant world. And I don't think children realize that they're learning all this. It's just part of the story. (laughs) Well, let's talk about sitting under the back steps next to clarify that, because I completely agree with you. Sitting under the back steps, it's a dynamic view of science in a totally beautiful narrative, a fun, exciting narrative. It it is very much one of those where you're going on an adventure and you don't even realize that you're going to school, like magic school bus before magic school bus. (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) Speaking of Magic School Bus or Hollywood-inspired <laughs> relations to this, Tanya, you have heard that Sitting Under the Back Steps is a source material for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, right? Yeah. So kind of how this book came to be was once Jill and I kind of became friends and we were collaborating and talking more, I knew that she had an Evelyn Sibley Lattman book in her catalog. Mm-hmm. and. I kept hearing so many great things about sitting under the back steps. And I, I think I reached out to her a few times and we talked about it. And I think Jill, you wanted to do sitting under the back steps for a long time, right? Yeah, I had, it's just that the rights were convoluted and complicated and it just took a while to sort them out. I think I brought it up one time and then maybe like a year later, I brought it up again. And then at some point I had gone on a trip to Idaho and I convinced my family that I needed to stop at a local thrift store. Really? You did? Right. Everybody agreed. So I had 15 (laughs) minutes in this thrift store. I ran to the book section (laughs) (laughs) and I found a pristine, never read copy of City Under the Backstep. It was the Scott Forsman Invitations to Personal Reading Program edition. And it was Mm. just gorgeous for a dollar. And I got home after that trip and I messaged Jill and I said, look, I just found this at a thrift store. It Again, it feels like serendipity. I think you should just take a look at it again. I, now I have a copy, but how yes. many people don't have a copy? Right. And, <laughs> and that's when Jill was like, okay, I think I'm going to go look at it again. And the ball started rolling. But one of the reasons I was interested in it was because I had heard that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was based on the, the book. Mm. Well, I've been doing some research and Sarah Kim and I have been looking into it and we can't find any verification of that. When you research the movie and the the writers of the movie, there's no, mm-hmm. there's no, no reference to that at all. Yeah. I think maybe it feels similar and maybe people really wish it was. <laughs> or it could have been that they read it in their childhood, didn't remember what it was, but remembered mm-hmm. the concept. I yeah. mean, how many things have we read? I I have a book from childhood that I really enjoyed. And for decades, I could not remember the name of the book. And I I had misremembered. I kept calling it The Stone Balloon. It's not The Stone Balloon, but that's what I remembered it because The Stone Balloon was part of the title and it was a big thing. And when we first built Potato Peel Pie, one day we did a thread of what are books from childhood that you've lost that you can't remember? Let's see if we can crowdsource some of these and people can go discover treasures that they've lost. And now I don't even remember what the name is, but we had this whole discussion and somebody was like, oh, I know what that book is. And they gave me the name and I found it and I had to buy it from like eBay UK or something. And I got this tattered old copy. And I'm like, why did I like this book? 
<laughs> but the memory I have of the book is still very much in my mind and frankly, far better than the book itself. So maybe this is a case where they read it and made an impression on them. The book and the movies are quite similar, except the movies are ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this book is not. <laughs> this book is, is much more sensible. So, Tanya, you've not read Sitting Under the Back Steps, is that right? I haven't yet, no. Greta and Jack were reading it, and Greta really enjoyed it. Uh, we did it as a read-aloud, and that bogged us down. It actually moves in such a pace that for us, it didn't jive with our read-aloud style. Not the way some of these other books are that just sort of flow right out of you. But uh, read on our own, Greta really enjoyed it. It begins with this boy who's just not interested in anything beyond himself. He's kind of he's kind of a brat. And he steps on ants to kill them because he doesn't care. He wants to be a, a rocket man. He wants to be have a spacesuit and a laser gun and go to this other world and explore outer space. And they run into the wrong ant and they become they become magically changed and are reduced down to teeny tiny the size of an ant and are invited into this world of the ant community. And it is pretty magical. One of the most valuable lessons they learn under the back steps in the ant colony is the value of community and how every ant has to contribute to the community, has to live its life in a way that supports the community and has to be willing to do the work that they are made to do. And we see that with Jill. She embraces it. She's excited about this. And she does very well. For Craig, it's a little bit more of a journey. He has to go through some things in order to figure out where his place really is and get over himself. And that's that's where I think it gets interesting. I particularly loved the scene where he realizes that the ants, these little things that seem so insignificant to us, the incredible volume of work they do, and they're, they're very, very, very strong. And so he is assigned with some of the other worker ants to go down this long cavern, take up a boulder of dirt that's bigger than he is, and carry it out and put it where it needs to go. And he, I mean, it just about kills him to do this. And then he realizes they're getting back in line to do it again and again and again. And that's when he begins to become a little more respectful of how hard they work. Jill, what do you think about City Under the Back Steps? What I liked about it is that Craig, he, he went around stepping on ants and he mm -hmm. was in the presence of the wrong ant when he did that. Mm -hmm. And they found out that the queen shrinks them down to ant mm -hmm. size. And so that right there, that's that's pretty magical. I think if you're a child yes. reading a book like that, like, who wouldn't want to explore a different world like that? You know, even though you're very tiny, it's just something that you just sort of dream about. And then when they come into the ant colony, there's a cricket there who is a pet of the ants. Oh, yeah, that's and right. And they, they had the choice of being a pet or being useful, and they both chose to be useful. They wanted to have jobs to do. So that right. made it more interesting for me, too, just how they figured out what type of job they could do and where they fit in to ant life. Yes. Yeah, and just seeing all the different jobs that the ants had to do to keep their colony going. Mm -hmm. 
it is really pretty amazing what they do. And and that's why I say this is more magic school bus than Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Because Honey, mm-hmm. I Shrunk the Kids ends up being sort of the humans versus the creatures. And in City Under the Back Steps, it's the humans learning to respect and work with the creatures and realizing the humans are the aliens in a world that has a very complex social structure and has a very interesting landscape and ecosystem. And as a child, you get to look up at the world in a com- from a completely different point of view and see things you would never have considered that seem insignificant and in fact are really, really relevant. Jill, when did you print City Under the Back Steps? So we, we just got the rights reverted to that this year, and that's why it came out this year. It was a book that I had really always wanted to do, but I needed some prompting to go ahead and ask for the rights again. I think it's really amazing how in the last couple of years, like there's been at least a few books where Jill and I, I prompted, you know, I prompted again, we came again, and some of them were books that she had wanted early on. And the mm-hmm. timing wasn't right 20 years ago. And for whatever reason, the timing was right where things came into place. So we were tired of living in a house as an example, sitting mm-hmm. under the back steps as an example. Mm-hmm. The shy stegosaurus of Indian Springs will be an example. Mm-hmm. I just, I think that's so fascinating and beautiful and wondrous and really cool to see something come to fruition. And I just think that's got to feel satisfying. Yeah. It's very yeah. satisfying. You ask mm-hmm. for something and you're told no for whatever reason and you just give up for a while and then you try again and this time you have better results and I'm just very happy to be able to bring these books back now. Yeah. And I think we even had a conversation because I had talked to you about sitting under the back steps and you gave me the story. I've tried multiple times, Tanya. And then when I found it in that thrift store, I messaged you immediately and said, I feel like it's a sign. (laughs) (laughs) And and this is the rejoinder between the two of you. This is the refrain. One of you will find the book and the other's like, see? (laughs) And that's how it is. Captain (laughs) Kidd. She was right. She was right. It worked the time. It worked this this time. So Diane and I for months have been saying we want to help Jill capture her memories from 22 plus years. Uh, We want to do the first 20 years and then start working on the next 20 years after that of of Purple House Press. And we always kicking around what could be titles of Jill's memoirs. I think it's the right book at the right time. (laughs) That's what it is. I like that title. I really do. The right (laughs) book at the right time. Good. I'm going to make sure I remember that then. (laughs) Amen to that. And then Jill, what's kind of cool is once you were already talking to the Lampman estate, Mm -hmm. you went ahead and got the rights for a few other books. Yeah. I said like, since we're doing these two, why don't we do like three or four more? And um, her grandsons were like, sure, why not? (laughs) So now just to clarify, how did you get the rights for Shy Stegosaurus? Because that was 20 years ago. So you weren't working with the Lampmans then, were you? I was. I was working with Evelyn Sibley Lantman's two daughters. And okay. now, yeah, now since time has passed, we're working with her three grandsons. Nice. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you you locked in the book when you were ready to do it. And now because you were able to come back and do City Under the Back Steps, that's what then made way for the um, Three Knocks on the Wall, The Bargain Bride. Mm-hmm. What else is there? 
The Bounces of Cynthia which is kind of funny because it takes place in a little town called Cynthiana. But it's Cynthiana, <gasps> Oregon, and, and we're in Cynthiana, <laughs> Kentucky, so we're going to be doing that one. <laughs> oh, fun. Yeah, and then it's um, Bargain Bride that also takes place in Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. That's where she lived, and she sets a lot of her books in Oregon. And mm-hmm. the two Stegosaurus books, and I think that's it. Oh, that's marvelous. So the first two books we've talked about are really, really well suited to younger readers. And the, um, at least for read aloud, they could be used well in class. They could be used well for a book club, or they could just be a really nice family, cozy read aloud. Um, City Under the Back Steps has some really nice illustration in it too, which I think really help with the understanding quite a bit. But again, being line drawings, it suggests to the child what to imagine, but then allows them to fill it in themselves. So. Let's talk about these young lady books, because these are different than those two. So City Under the Back Steps and Shy Stegosaurus both have um, a very sciencey feel to them. They're, you know, Diane and I always talk about how much boys love books that are real, that deal with real things, even if they're imagined. The idea that the books will deal with things that seem real is really important to boys. With these other two books, they also deal with real things, but they're real of a different kind. So, Diane, you've read both Bargain Bride and Three Knocks on the Wall. Mm -hmm. Do you think that they are similar, dissimilar? What do you think? I probably wouldn't even have guessed they were by the same person. Mostly not similar. Diane, what's your thumbnail sketch of Three Knocks on the Wall? A 12-year-old girl is living during the time that the United States has just gone to war during World War I, so Mm -hmm. 1917. And around her in her small town, there are people who, um, you know, here are the people who are the upper class, Mm -hmm. and she's sort of in the middle class, and then there are these other groups of people that are practically no class. And um, so the little girl is looking around and watching different groups of people being treated badly for various reasons, like the neighbor man who, young man, who doesn't want to go to war. And mm. everybody kind of laughs at him because they feel like his mommy's keeping him home. Mm. Um, and, and you have Indians in the community, their Chinese laundry man, but he right. gets very badly treated. And the other thing, the other group of people that she's very concerned with are a couple of a young woman and a young girl who didn't have fathers in the picture. And so they're treated badly because their parents weren't married. Right. And that she really makes a point at the end. It's not their fault. Why do we treat them like that when there's nothing they could have done about the way they were born? Which is true about all of the groups. Right. This is a very common theme to judge a child based upon the parent when it's totally unfair. I think that's a theme that Lampman deals with throughout several of her Mm -hmm. books um, like in um, Three Knocks on the Wall, uh, people come to visit her father, and it's an Indian and his daughter. So she takes the young Indian girl to town so they can, she's never been to town before. So she sh- shows her some stores. They go in a store, and then they come home. And, and to her, that's that. But then she's ostracized when she goes back to school the next week. It's like, how could you walk into town with mm, an Indian? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, mm. and I think that's just Lampman telling everybody that she, they should just be 
judged at face value and to get rid of all these stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was going to share a little bit about Lampman because I think that might play into kind of understanding her writing. Yeah. So she was born in Oregon and her great grandparents came across the plains, probably on the Oregon trail in covered wagon. And she Mm -hmm. grew up with those stories being told. And I imagine, Mm -hmm. I think she lived really close to maybe a reservation or something. And I read Mm -hmm. that her father was an attorney and he often took on Native American clients and often didn't even send a bill. So he was, they would come and then their children would come and she would play with the children. And so I imagine it was never explicitly stated, but I think it must've been implied that she was seeing the possibly persecution of Native Americans as she was growing up, uh, conflict between the clashing of two cultures and a lot of complications. And I think once she grew up, you start seeing her writing a lot about Oregon, a lot of historical fiction. In fact, she was, she was kind of prolific and wide range. So we have these science books, we have historical fiction, we have realistic fiction. um, We have just this, the family life ones. So you have all these different types of stories, but she was really well known and praised for the writing that she did that kind of drew attention to these conflicts and to the persecution of minorities. I don't know that she's trying to like force you into a way of thinking, but she's trying to present a side for empathy. It even sounded like with sitting under the back steps, the whole point is for these children to have a new mm-hmm. experience and see with new eyes and and right. gain empathy for someone different than them. And I think she's right. trying to do that in a lot of her storytelling, or at least it feels like it so far in Bargain Bride. She has the main girl who's 15 for the majority of the story. And right because she has been an orphan and she's kind of got some of her own ideas, but she's seeing how this, how the people in the town feel about native Americans. She's hiding a native American. So you have all of these complications mm-hmm. and you're walking it with the character and being allowed to, to discover inside yourself what you think and feel about that time period or that situation. It's, it's yes, really exactly. incredible. So mm-hmm. Three Knocks then is quite autobiographical because that is yeah. her, her father in the story is a lawyer. That's mm-hmm. why the Indians come to him. And that's why she knows a lot about the mm-hmm. community and her mother has a certain role that she plays there. She's very kind to everyone, but she also knows a lot of things about people that aren't kind that she could tell, but she doesn't. And um, yeah, so I think that probably maybe the girl is her. Interesting. Lampman seems to wants to expose racism or mm-hmm. other prejudices. Mm-hmm. In Bargain Bride, it seems like there's the one kind of group where it's the Indians that live by them. Mm-hmm. In Three Knocks, she throws everything in that she can think of. <laughs> in Three Knocks, the girl is younger, but a lot of really mature things are happening around her because it's also in the middle of World mm-hmm. War I. So there's just all kinds of swirling conflicts. So for me, I haven't read it yet, but it sounds really similar to the types of elements in a way and themes you might have found in Borrowed House, where you do have this younger Mm -hmm. lead character with some really complex Mm -hmm. things happening around her in the Mm -hmm. middle of of a war. Mm -hmm. And it can feel like, oh, what do I do with all of this? Um, Right. It this one is probably very worthy of a book club discussion to help navigate the complexities of the storylines. Yes. And because she's so young, I think is why it comes out so bluntly sometimes. Um, 
I was telling Sarah earlier that there are just a couple of things like right toward the beginning, she, the, the girl, the narrator says of her mother that she has female trouble. Hmm. And so every month she has to rest or something like that. And, and that's one of those things that for me, if I were reading it when I was 10, I'd have gone, huh, wonder what that is. But I think that parents need to know that that's something that they may have to then address before they were ready if they give this book to a child who's too young for some of the themes. But what you've said is that it is it is told discreetly. Yes. And so a parent, yes. a parent could conceivably say, well, you know, that's just one of those things I think you'll learn about more when you're older. Or they could have their, their answer ready if they know. If they know that they, so there's no, you know, a little bit like Margie's books with Miss Mantle. Mm-hmm. We're allowing the children to be stretched and have growth rings, but we're not scarring them. Yes. I like, I like that a lot. Because there's a lot of things to think about in here about how many different groups there are that people treat badly simply because mm-hmm. they're different. Mm. There's just a, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot in this one where in Bargain Bride, it was sort of limited. Wait, let me set it up. Let me set it up. <laughs> So, Tanya, you've read Bargain Bride. Give us a thumbnail sketch of Bargain Bride. Yeah. So in Bargain Bride, you have a young girl who's coming across the plains to Oregon with her family. And Mm -hmm. I believe she's around 10 when it starts. And she becomes Mm -hmm. orphaned along the trail and is taken in by her aunt and her uncle. And, you know, they get to Oregon and they essentially sell her off as a bride at 10 to be married to someone in the area who's bought some land and is taking care of the land. And she'll go to live with him when she's, I believe, 15. So at 15, he comes to get her. And he they do that because he gets twice as much land for his homestead as if he's married. One of the things I really appreciated about this story, because I was shocked. I was thinking, 10-year-old bride, what, what are we right. reading? Um, but... She is, Lapman is so careful to explain Mm -hmm. right away that Mr. Mayhew wants to, wants to settle a claim. And if he's married, he gets twice the price because his bride, this is interesting. In a place where we don't always think that women had rights, a wife was entitled to her own equal portion of the land as her husband. And so... Mayhew makes an arrangement with her aunt and uncle, and he pays them in order to marry her. But he's a good man, and he does not claim her that day. He lets her grow up, and in the five years that elapse, he works very hard to make a beautiful, beautiful homestead for her. That sets the stage for the story. Mm -hmm. As you find out kind of her backstory, you find out what's happened once they arrive, And then the day comes when he Mm -hmm. comes to pick her up. And then from there ensues a lot of challenges Mm -hmm. for her. And she ends up having a relationship Mm -hmm. with a Native American woman Mm -hmm. um, and struggles getting through the winter. She ends up having some relationships with the people in the town. And she keeps things hidden from them because of judgments during that time period towards, towards the Natives, towards... So you have all these challenges and these different things that are play. And you can see the dichotomies of the belief systems in the community. And Mm -hmm. you see her struggling to understand how they can think this on the one hand and on the other hand, think this other thing. Like how do they simultaneously hold these two contradictory beliefs? Right, right. So you kind of just struggle along with her, but you never feel hopeless about her story, which, you know, again, I was a mom reading it. I had a 15-year-old at the time. 
And so I just thought, oh, I just can't wrap my brain around the things that have happened to young teenagers throughout history. So towards the end, you, you know, you, you start to see these things work out and the reader is allowed to kind of, again, experience it through the eyes of the main character and come to some conclusions on their own. And it's, it's challenging and it's thought provoking and fascinating and you get a good view of the time period. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that this was a beautiful snapshot of the time period because you see a lot of different kinds of people in different roles. You see what a shop owner would be like. You see what a re- like, what a minister in a church would be like. And you see these things from the inside. And so you get to see these different people in their different roles. And you see how they were instrumental in shaping a culture and building a society it's a beautiful look in. There's a little bit of it. It feels a little bit like Little House on the Prairie, to be honest. Uh, it feels a little bit like the TV show Little House on the Prairie. Um, it's, it is really that wholesome. But it also deals with sort of those issues in the same way that Little House on the Prairie dealt with some of those pretty tough issues. I really loved, as a mama, I was a little nervous thinking, okay, so now she's 15 years old. She has met her husband once. And now she's expected to be to put on her only good dress and to go with him and suddenly be his wife. No opportunity to get to know him. How uncomfortable would I have been? How terrified would I have been? And Lapman handles that beautifully. And uh, she builds on that then with very age-appropriate situations for our for our heroine and Again, it's a book I'm very proud to hand to my daughter and very, I think this would be a wonderful book club for teenage girls, especially young, like preteen and teenage girls. I think this would be a great book club for that. I wanted to add one thing about Bargain Bride. When I was reading it and just seeing all the things that Mr. Mayhew put into his farm and his house for his future bride, I just kept thinking Laura and her ma would have been so happy with a house like that it had real glass Mm -hmm. in the windows Uh, he built it out of lumber like the sawn lumber and it had a really nice stove in there and I just that's those were my thoughts along the way Mm -hmm. part of the personalness of the story for me with that kind of thing is that I remember my grandma talking about their life when they were young, which was not that far back, but um, my grandpa was a logger and they lived in logging camps a lot of times. And a lot of times they just lived in wall tents. And I remember one time and her, his brother and sister-in-law a lot of times were with them and they would have their separate tents and they had, you know, little kids and um, had to do all the usual things like doing laundry and cooking and everything in these tents. And I remember one time her telling me that my grandpa had put a wooden floor in for her, but her sister-in-law didn't have a wooden floor. And the fact that she mentioned that just at all, that comparing herself with someone else Mm -hmm. tells me how big a deal that was to her. Yeah. (laughs) Jill, I think we've done a really good job today of giving people just a little teaser about these books that are in your catalog. Now, some of them we have reviewed The ones we don't have reviewed, we are working on and will have reviewed. So whenever people hear this, check our website. We should have pretty many. We should have many of them reviewed. Um, If not, it's coming soon. 
just to clarify, right now in your catalog, you have the Shy Stegosaurus of Cricket Creek. You have City Under the Back Steps. You have Three Knocks on the Wall and Bargain Bride. But you have two more coming out, right? We are going to be working on the Shy Stegosaurus of Indian Springs and the Bounces of Cynthia. Beautiful. That one is about four children who become orphaned. They live in New England in the early 1800s. And after their mother passes away, their nearest relative lives in Oregon. So they have to go around the Cape to get to Oregon. And and it's about their life once they get to Oregon and how they figure out what their future is. These stories of people coming West are pretty amazing, really. Now, if you are interested, dear listeners, if you're interested in The Bargain Bride and learning more about it, first of all, we do have that review done on our website. Secondly, the BiblioGuides ladies are coming back for our monthly book club, and we're going to have a robust, full of spoilers discussion. So today we are trying to be very, very careful, (laughs) but on that book club, it'll be everything. So you are so welcome to get a copy of the book, read along with us. And then listen in to the conversation and then join us in the BiblioGuides online community. Jill's in the BiblioGuides online community. Diane and I are in it. And we have a beautiful little group called Plumfield Reads. And thanks to some updates in the Mighty Networks, we're making some big changes in there to make it more cozy, more user-friendly, and give us a great opportunity to sit and discuss these books. And the best part is, it doesn't matter if you get this podcast right when it airs, six months later, or even a year or two later. Those groups should, to the best of our knowledge, still be there. And you are always welcome to come back in and talk about things that are old. We love it when our book discussions come back to life. So don't worry. If you're late to the party, you're not late. (laughs) Join us when you get there. And if that Bargain Bride book club goes well, we'll talk about whether or not we should maybe do a Three Knocks on the Wall book club later on. Tanya and Jill, thank you for being here today. Um, Jill, thank you for adding some more books to my pile. (laughs) As usual. Yeah. (laughs) So I've read two of them, but a couple I haven't, so I'm going to have to get those. I'm happy to do that, Diane. (laughs) So Jill and Tanya, we are so thrilled to always have you here. And we're very pleased to, to draw our listeners' attention to our website. A couple of things that you might want to know about. First of all, We do have show notes for this episode, and it has all the links to all the things. So you can find us, you can participate, you can get the books from Jill, you can check them out in BiblioGuides, all the things. Also, Jill and Tanya have been so generous with their time with us over the last few months that we've built special little pages just for them on our website. There's a beautiful Purple House Press page that has all of the episodes that Jill has been on listed, and we will be updating that regularly. And even the ones that she recommends, and here's a little insider fact, when it says Jill Morgan recommends or Purple House Press recommends, it means that that is an author or someone associated with the author that she introduced us to and she suggested the podcast. So even if she's not on it, it's one she wants you to hear too. And then Tanya has her own little page with BiblioGuides team. So it's Tanya and Sarah Kim and Lara Yeverino, and that will always be updated with more and more things and goodness from BiblioGuides and their beautiful team. 